The reading this morning, it's uh, from Luke chapter 1, it's verses 1 to 15. So Luke chapter 1, verses 1 to 15. Many have undertaken to draw up an account of the things that have been fulfilled among us, just as they were handed down to us by those from the first who were eyewitnesses and servants of the word. With this in mind, since I myself have carefully investigated everything from the beginning, I too decided to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, so that you may know the certainty of the things you have been taught. In the time of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah who belonged to the priestly division of Abijah. His wife Elizabeth was also a descendant of Aaron. Both of them were righteous in the sight of God, observing all the Lord's commands and decrees blamelessly. But they were childless, because Elizabeth was not able to conceive, and they were both very old. Once, when Zechariah's division was on duty, and he was serving as priest before God, he was chosen by lot, according to the custom of the priesthood, to go into the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And when the time came for the burning of incense, all the assembled worshippers were praying outside. Then an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing at the right side of the altar of incense. When Zechariah saw him, he was startled and was gripped with fear. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. Your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you are to call him John. He will be a joy and delight to you, and many will rejoice because of his birth. For he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He is never to take wine or other fermented drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before he is born. Well, we've prayed that God would speak to us this morning, so let's, um, let's go straight in and pray that he will do that this morning. Well, there are different ways in which a church can grow. There is what we long for. We long to see conversion growth, uh, people coming to faith, putting their trust in Jesus Christ. There's geographical growth, when Christians move into the area, look for a church which they can be a part of, and it's great when they come to, to join this church. And then, of course, there's biological growth, and uh, babies being born, and uh, we've seen quite a few of those recently, there's a bit of a baby boom going on, uh, it's great to see Tom and Chaz's baby up here this morning, uh, Ivor and Becky, this past week have had an addition to their family, uh, their daughter Eleanor, uh, Matt and Rosie are due any moment, Mark and Steph are expecting in January. And the latest news, I don't know whether you're aware of it already, is that Wellesley and Hannah are expecting another baby as well. I was like, ooh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> but what will these new parents be praying for their children? What should all of us who are parents be praying for our children? What should all of us in the church be praying for the children of the church family? Maybe we have 
big ambitions for our children, that they grow up to be rich and famous, that they grow to be international sports stars, maybe the next prime minister. Wouldn't be a bad thing, would it? Maybe our ambitions aren't quite so high, but we want them to do well at school, to get good jobs, to be happily married, have their own children. We want them to be happy and healthy. All good ambitions, but what will give us the greatest joy from our children? What do you think Zechariah and Elizabeth in the passage we're looking at this morning would have been praying for? They, like many people today, had suffered the pain of, of wanting children but not being able to, to have them. Having been praying for the blessing of children since they first got married, now they're their past childbearing age. And maybe they've just given up. But why do they want children? And why did God finally answer their prayer? Was it in order to somehow make their, their marriage complete and fulfilled? Or was it something more than that? Well, that's what we're looking at this morning. As an angel appears to Zechariah with some amazing news that will cause great joy. Not just for them, but for all the people then. And for us today. Why was it such good news? Well, firstly, because it reminds us that God hears our prayers. What do we know about Zechariah and Elizabeth? Have a look down in the passage in your Bibles. Zechariah, we're told, was a, a priest. Elizabeth was descended from the line of priests. But in verse 6, it says, Both of them were righteous in the sight of God, observing all the commands and decrees blamelessly. That doesn't mean they were completely sinless. We know that from Romans. There's no one righteous, not even one. But they were like Job in the Old Testament described as upright and blameless. They followed the Lord's commandments. But quite matter of fact, it goes on in verse 7 to say, but they were childless because Elizabeth was not able to conceive and they were both very old. Luke is emphasizing that although in Old Testament times children were associated with God's blessing, the fact that Zechariah and Elizabeth hadn't had children was not because of anything to do with them. Nothing because they hadn't done or had done. They were blameless. And it is a sad thing in in a fallen world that many such people who would make excellent parents are denied that blessing. Whilst many who become pregnant merely consider it an inconvenience. But whilst many couples may be torn apart by their desperation to have children, or they may blame God for their situation, here we have two people whose inability to have children had not affected their faith in God. They continued to live blameless and upright lives. Well, the day starts as a normal one for Zechariah the priest, but will turn out to be quite an extraordinary one. We're told in verse 8 that he's on duty. He's serving as a priest. Um, But he's also chosen by lot to go into the temple and burn incense. Now, this is not your your monthly incense-burning rotor. This is a -a once-in-a-lifetime lottery ball coming up for a priest. It's a special day for him. And whilst he's burning incense, all the assembled worshippers, we're told, were outside praying. They weren't all of the the priestly division, but they could all pray. 
A reminder that the greatest service that all of us can do for God, whatever other gifts we may or may not have, is to pray. It gives honor to God. It acknowledges our dependence on him. It enables us to remain in communion with him. In recent weeks, we've been looking at the Lord's Prayer, uh, how it gives us a model for, for praying. We looked at the, remember the three R's, God's reputation, his rule, his reign, and the three P's, our provision, our pardon, and our protection. Prayer is the means God chooses to use to achieve his purposes. It's great that we can pray in private. But what a wonderful thing also to come together to pray, to share the, the bonds that we have in Jesus. Um, if we're to grow as a church, if we want to see our friends and family saved, then it will be through prayer. And we have a great opportunity on Tuesday evening to, to do that here in the church. But meanwhile, while other people are praying, unbeknown to them, inside the temple, an angel of the Lord appears to Zechariah. How would you react if a heavenly being suddenly appeared before you. I guess your reaction probably would be very different from uh, that of Zechariah. Have a look at verse 12. It says he was startled, he was gripped with fear. The language is actually stronger than this. It's, it's terrified. It's fear overwhelmed him. That's the impact of coming to the presence of a heavenly being. And this isn't even God. Imagine what that will be like. I wonder when we come to worship him uh, on a Sunday, do, do we come with that same sense of reverence and awe? Or do we just treat him like a casual friend? Well, the angel has a message for Zechariah, verse 13. Do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. It may have seemed to you that all these years your prayer was ignored, but it has been heard. And we may feel like that too, mind we, that our prayers have been ignored, that no one is listening to them. They've disappeared mysteriously, like those emails that end up in, in the cloud, whatever that is. But just as every file may be backed up in the cloud, so every prayer is stored in heaven. It's filed in the database that is God's huge mind, the mind that is bigger than time or space, the mind that has immediate access to every concern of every single one of his people. It's not that Zechariah's prayer has finally got to the top of the impile and, uh, and now God can deal with it. God can answer any of those prayers at any time, immediately or in many years, but he will answer them at the time he knows is best. And we may say, well, what are you waiting for, God? Why don't you just get on with it? Because when God makes us wait, whether it's for a child, whether it's for a marriage partner, whether it's for a job, it's not because he enjoys us getting fed up. It's because he wants what is best for us in the long term. He wants us to grow in our dependence on him, in our faithfulness towards him. He wants us to, to grow in patience and Christ-likeness. The Lord hears our prayers as he heard the prayer of Zechariah and Elizabeth. But what exactly was the prayer of Zechariah that he heard? I mean, I doubt at that particular time Zechariah in the temple would have been praying for a baby. 
After all, as we said, they were both past childbearing age now. And anyway, he was performing his priestly role. So probably we've been praying for the people of Israel and praying for the coming of the Messiah. But the angel comes and says, your prayer has been heard. Your wife, Elizabeth, will bear you a son, and you are to give him the name John. Wow, he's probably thinking, I wasn't expecting that. In case he doesn't know how to respond, the angel says, he will be a joy and a delight to you. Of course he'll be. They've been longing for a child all their lives. He's probably thinking, well, maybe 40 years ago, Lord, but why, why now? Why will this baby be a joy and delight to them? But also, why will it be a joy to everybody else? Many, it says, will rejoice because of his birth, for he will be great in the sight of the Lord. Our children are not our own. They belong to God. Uh, amazingly, he has entrusted them into our care, and therefore our greatest desire should be for them to be great in the sight of the Lord. And yet so often we forget that, don't we? All the ambitions that we have for our children that we, we mentioned at the beginning are really to do with success in the sight of man. And if we're honest, not just how our children are in the sight of man, but how we are in the sight of man through the success of our children. But God is not interested um, in how sporty we are, how intelligent we are, how successful we are in our careers. He's interested in how we are in our relationship with him. We will all one day die. Not all of us will have an obituary in the times. Not all of us, like Clive James, will be able to write our own obituary. It's good to have been well-liked, to have had our gifts appreciated by people. But if that obituary says nothing about how we were in the sight of God, then what was our life worth? Because we will soon be forgotten by man, but we won't be forgotten by God. Zechariah and Elizabeth were both upright in the sight of the Lord. The angel promised not just that they would have a son, but that their son will be great in the sight of the Lord. What better promise can you get? The angel could have said, well, when your son grows up, he's going to end up wandering around in the desert, um, dressed in camel hair, eating wild locusts and honey. And they would have probably thought, ooh, okay, not quite what I had in mind for, for my son. But none of that matters because he will be great in the sight of the Lord. It's a great encouragement to us if life has been unkind to us as it has been for, I know, for, for many of you. It doesn't matter what other people think of us because in God's eyes, we can still be great. We're still valued by him. John had a special role to fulfill, and that, in verse 15, continues. He's never to take wine or other fermented drink. He'll be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from birth, literally from the womb. Not normal. Um, but the reason John has been specially called and equipped in this way is because he has a special task to fulfill, which brings us on to our second point for rejoicing. 
It is through John that God will bring home the wanderers. He'll bring back, it says there in verse 16, many of the people of Israel to the Lord their God. And he will go on before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Imagine being given a job description with that lot on it. John's task is not the task that all of us have as Christians to share the good news of Jesus with others. His task is to prepare the way for the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. John will be great. And yet there will be one who's far greater. As John says, whose sandals I'm not worthy to untie. And that's why John's coming will bring joy, not just to his parents, but joy to many. To the many who are waiting for the Messiah. That's why when the angel tells Zechariah that he will have a son, he's also answering Zechariah's prayer for his people. Because his son will prepare the way for the coming of the Savior that they've all been praying for. This is an exciting time. After all, it was prophesied 450 years or so before this happened by the prophet Malachi. Malachi said, I will, he prophesied from the Lord, the words of the Lord. He said, I will send my messenger who will prepare the way before me. Then suddenly the Lord you are seeking will come to his temple. The messenger of the covenant whom you desire will come, says the Lord Almighty. And so if a messenger has arrived, then the Lord must be on his way. So how will John make ready a people prepared for the Lord? Well, the first thing the angel says is he will bring back many of the people of Israel to the Lord their God. If one of the greatest joys for a parent is to, to have a child, one of the, the greatest causes of sadness for a Christian parent is to see their child wander away from the Lord, as I know many of you will have experienced. Maybe you are a, a wanderer yourself. You've had some sort of relationship with God in the, in the past. Maybe you're not even sure why you're, you're here today, but you just felt you had to come. If you have been a wanderer in the past and come back to the Lord, you will know that wonderful joy of being brought back. You felt someone pulling you back. And you kept resisting until you could resist no more. And finally you gave in. And when you did, you wondered why you hadn't done that earlier. It's a joy for you to have been brought back home. But it's also a joy for God. He longs to see us come home. John's role was to bring the people back to the Lord. But how was he going to do that? Let's turn on a couple of chapters in your Bibles, if you've got them handy there, uh, to chapter 3. Look what it says there in chapter 3, verse 2. During the high priesthood of Annas and Caiaphas, the word of God came to John, son of Zechariah, in the wilderness. He went into all the country around the Jordan, preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. Just as God used the prophet Elijah to turn the hearts of the people of Israel Back to him, as we read about in 1 Kings. So he will use John 
to do the same. John will preach a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. In other words, he will tell people to acknowledge their sinfulness, the fact that they have strayed from their God, and instead of following his ways, they followed their own ways. John will tell them that they need to turn back to the Lord. They need to be cleansed from their sin. And having prepared them for the Lord, when Jesus comes, he will point to Jesus and say, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. John himself couldn't forgive them. Only Jesus can do that. But without being prepared by recognizing their need, they wouldn't have been able to welcome their Savior when he came. Some of you may know Michael, who comes around the village uh, from time to time, an ex-offender with his wares to, to sell. And uh, when he arrives at your door, uh, he's full of overpriced stuff, which is of poor quality. Um, but you take pity on him and buy something anyway. Um, it's usually a duster or a, uh, a dog's toy or something. And when he arrives, it's um, usually, but Michael, I've got all that stuff. Anyway, I don't need any of it. But of course... Um, if you haven't got a duster, you're, you're, you're lacking a dog's toy, and suddenly Michael arrives at the door. It's Michael, I'm pleased to see you, just what I wanted. Thank you very much. Of course, it won't be John himself preparing the people spiritually to receive Jesus, to see their need. In the same way that it wasn't Billy Graham who, who brought thousands of people to Christ through his own rhetoric, his own charisma. It will be the Holy Spirit doing his work through John. Ultimately, it will be God who brings the wanderers home. Once he has enabled us to see our need for a saviour, we've received the gift of forgiveness. Not only does that change our relationship with God, it changes our relationship with those around us. Have a look at verse 17. And he will go on before the Lord... In the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. When we are far from God, we're more prone to problems in our relationships, maybe with our, our parents, maybe with our children, maybe our work colleagues. John is saying that as people come back to the Lord, as they follow his wisdom, then marriages will be restored. Families will be, be reconciled. This is the wonderful news of the gospel. Politicians will come and they will try and deal with the symptoms of brokenness in our society. They may employ more police and nurses, build more prisons and hospitals, Build more homes for all the broken families. But they can't offer any solution to man's biggest problem. That he needs to come home to the Lord. Well, even as a Christian, there may be things in your life that you feel are broken beyond repair. How is God going to deal with those? Which brings us on to our last reason for rejoicing. That God enables us to trust in his power. As we've said, Zechariah is a blameless man. He's performing his role as a priest in the temple. He's praying for the salvation of the people of Israel. He's continued to be obedient to God despite the pain of his own childlessness. And an angel from heaven comes 
and speaks to him personally and says, your prayer has been heard. You will have a son. He will be a joy and a delight to you. And many of the people of Israel, he will bring back to the Lord. This is the God of heaven, who Zechariah has been worshipping for his whole life, for whom he knows nothing is impossible, who hundreds of years earlier, he gave children to Sarah and Abraham in their old age, to Rachel and Jacob, to Hannah and Elkanah. And what does Zechariah say? Verse 18, he says, How can I be sure of this? I am an old man, and my wife is well on in years. Basically, he said, I don't believe you. He's a genuine believer in God, and yet, in this instance, he doesn't believe. Why? Because humanly speaking, what the angel is promising is not possible. He's an old man. His wife has passed childbearing age. And he's torn between these conflicting messages. His mind is telling him this is not possible. And he has a messenger from God saying this will happen. And his conclusion is, how can I be sure? Well, the angel replies, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God. And I've been sent to speak to you and tell you this good news. The reason you can be sure is that God has said so. And because Zechariah didn't believe his words, we're told the angel strikes him dumb. Not so much, I think, as a punishment, but as a means of, of discipline. Zechariah was a priest with responsibilities for, for teaching the word of God. And now needs time to meditate on God's word until he sees that the message is true. It's like Zechariah is being prepared for something even more amazing for him to grasp. God was about to do a far more difficult thing than make an old woman pregnant. He was going to make a virgin pregnant with the Son of God. A baby who would grow up to live a perfect life, to die an innocent death, and then come back to life. That is the biggest miracle of all, and takes some believing. And yet that is what we're called to do. And we're not called to take a blind leap of faith. God has given us evidence. Luke starts his account. Look at the first uh, verses of, of chapter 1. It says, There many have undertaken to draw up an account of the things that have been fulfilled among us, just as they were handed down to us by those who from the first were eyewitnesses and servants of the word. With this in mind, since I myself have carefully investigated everything from the beginning, I too decided to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, so that you may know the certainty of the things you have been taught. I wonder what you think about the good news of Christmas. Do you believe it really happened? Or is it just a nice story? If you don't believe, why... Don't you pray that God will open your eyes and enable you to believe so that you can genuinely rejoice this Christmas that God has brought you home through Jesus coming into the world. And not just this Christmas, but be filled every day with a deep-seated contentment and a peace that whatever happens in the future, if you pray that prayer, your prayer will be heard. What if you already believe and you know the joy that comes from believing? But you're finding it hard right now to 
Believe that God is able to change your impossible situation, whatever that may be. Maybe it is the fact that someone dear to you has wandered away from the Lord and there doesn't seem to be any prospect of them coming back. Remember, God can change the hardest of hearts. He hears our prayers. He's the God of the impossible. So let's keep praying that he will bring them home as he has brought us home.